Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good evening, children of the night. Welcome again to our hideaway in the woods, away from the eyes of the day-to-day world. Come on in from this cold for a few stories that we might hear. I did want to let everyone know that Robin Bradshaw has reached out to me to let me know that she and David Bradshaw, who you will recall ran a very successful Kickstarter for his album Songs from the Former Country, which we promoted is putting together a bit of audio about the project and about the song that was done specifically for Tales to Terrify. That will be coming up on an episode in the near future, so stay tuned. Tonight's story is one that has been in the queue for a bit too long. Our genre has many contributing female authors, however, let's be honest, it's more guys than gals around these parts. And although Tales to Terrify has had some great inroads for authors from Australia and New Zealand, Most of our authors are American or British. Tonight, we have a story from an author that helps on both fronts. Lily Hearn's XYZ appears in the collection of short stories, Exotic Gothic 5, Volume 2. A bit about the author, or should I say authors. Lily Hearn is the pseudonym of mother-daughter duo, Sarah and Savannah Lotz. A fan of fake identities, Sarah also writes an urban horror series with author Louis Greenberg under the name S.L. Gray, as well as various crime novels, internationally anthologized short stories and screenplays under her own name. Savannah, a die-hard fantasy fanatic, is currently in her second year studying screenwriting at the University of East Anglia. The books published under the Lily Hearn name include her Deadlands series, which are zombie books. Now, you know me, I'm a zombie fan who will tell you that zombie stories are either a very solid hit or a very sad 
miss. This story, XYZ, however, doesn't really have any zombies in it. What I expect it will have is your attention. I really liked this one. When I can't imagine anyone in their right mind wanting to buy this dump. It's only been a couple of months since his grandfather died, but the farm looks as if it's been left to decay for years. The driveway that snakes through the orchards is rotten with potholes, and the one slush apricot trees now resemble arthritic skeletal hens. At least the house itself looks relatively sound, albeit far more inhospitable than he remembers. It lurks at the edge of the orchards, in a naked patch of dust, its slate roof brooding over the stoop. The late afternoon light is fading fast, turning its windows into flat, black eyes. His breath smokes, and he stamps his feet to spark life back into his toes. He knows winter can hit the clankaroo hard, but it's as if the cold has bypassed his flesh and sunk straight into his bone marrow. He should get inside before he freezes, but he's not ready to confront the house's interior quite yet. He zips up his anorak and hurries towards the path that leads to the compound where the farm labourers used to live. Skirting the blackened limbs of the fallen acacia tree, he slows as he nears the cement breeze-block building. It hasn't weathered the years as stoically as the house. The fine-boss thatch is bald in places, and several of the doors hang drunkenly off their hinges. He approaches cautiously, feeling like a trespasser. He wasn't allowed to mix with the labourer's children when he visited the farm as a child. The area was strictly out of bounds. He has a vague recollection of screams floating towards the house on Friday nights, his grandfather swearing and storming out to break up the fights. He yelps as a figure peels itself off the wall. He almost trips over his feet, then feels a spurt of relief when he realizes it's only a woman. She's skinny to the point of emaciation, dressed in a black shirt and flimsy trousers, oblivious to the cold. She moves out of the shadows, and he makes out a small lined face, hooded eyes, a red slash for a mouth. He can't gauge how old she is. She could be anywhere from thirty to sixty. Hello, he says, trying to sound authoritative. Her lips twitch, but she doesn't speak. I'm Werner de la Haye. This is, was my grandfather's farm. He hates himself for sounding so defensive. He has every right to be there. And you are? He's not sure what kind of tone to take with her. And he doesn't want to be seen as an old-school racist boer. But what if she's a trespasser, a squatter? He doesn't know much about the law, but he knows squatters have rights these days. He'll have to tread carefully. I'm Elaine, she says as if he should know exactly who she is. You the Muffy? Werner winces as if he's been slept, feels blood rushing to his frozen cheeks. That word, Muffy, has his grandfather all over it. But at least she speaks English. I, I'm not... Did you work for my grandfather? Ja. She scratches her thigh, says something in Afrikaans. Is she laughing at him? He can't tell. The girls at the office used to make fun of him. He was always the last one to get the joke. It had been a relief to give up work to care for his mother. 
And do you live on the property? The compound looks barely habitable. But she can't be living in the house, can she? Ja. I'm here to sort the house out. You know, make sure everything's ship-shape. Check there aren't any leaks, burst pipes, that sort of thing. Nervousness is making him babble. Should he tell her he's putting the farm on the market? No. He doesn't want to get into that sort of discussion right now. Still, at least there's someone else on the property. He won't be entirely alone. Do you know, is there still electricity in the house? He almost hopes there isn't. If not, it will give him an excuse to drive into town and find a guest house. Not that he can afford it. A shrug, another jar. Something shifts in the dark mouth of the doorway behind her. Is there someone else living here? No. An awkward silence stretches. Right, I'd better get going. He turns away, feels her eyes on his back as he makes his way back towards the main house. Why didn't Tanny Sunette mention anything about a woman living on the property when she came down from Blom to sort out the funeral? But she's in her eighties, after all. It's doubtful she would have thought to check the compound. And right now he has more pressing matter to deal with. He can't put it off any longer. He has to go in. He steps up onto the stoop, shocked that there isn't a security gate barring the door. It's a wonder the old man didn't get murdered before the stroke took him. The key slides easily into the lock. The door creaks open, and the house's fetid breath rolls out at him. Must, dust, and something else. A trace of a feral odor, as if an animal's been in here. But the last of his grandfather's irascible farm dogs must have died aeons ago. How long did his grandfather's body fester in here until it was discovered? Did she find him? Elaine? It hadn't occurred to him to ask. He grubs for the light switch, breathing a sigh of relief as the lights flicker on, banishing the shadows. Hello? He's not expecting an answer, of course, but the sound of his voice makes him feel more confident. The house seems to exhale in response. He picks up the phone on the hall table, listens to dead air. He digs his cell phone out of his pocket, checks again for signal. Nothing. He'll have to drive into town in the morning to call his mother. His spirits lift slightly as he pokes his head into the kitchen and sees the yellow wood table and floor are reassuringly clean and free of dust. Is the woman outside responsible? He opens the fridge. It's spotless, but it's so frigid in here he can't tell if it's working. Cans of tomato soup and baked beans are piled neatly on the sideboard. He tries the tap. The pipes thunder, then spew out a barrage of brown water that eventually runs clear. He heads across the hallway towards the lounge. The couch he remembers from his childhood. A scuffed brown leather monstrosity still dominates the room. The only new addition is an ancient TV set. A large, cream-colored book on the coffee table catches his eye, and an old sense of dread scrabbles free from its lair at the edge of his mind. 
He knows this book. He traces the gold embossed letters scrawled on the encyclopedia's spine. X, Y, Z. Apart from his Uma's old Bible, it was the only book his grandfather kept in the house. He retreats, feeling whisper-light legs skittering over his skin. A heaviness settles in his chest, and he's overwhelmed with the longing for the sterile flat he shares with his mother, their clutter-free flat, with its stark white walls and shiny tiles. As his mother is always saying, clutter only adds to the places where they can hide. The house is full of nooks and crannies. Every eave and corner and dark surface is a potential hiding place. But he can't let his mother down. He has to be brave. He takes a deep breath and steals himself to explore the floor above. The room in which he and his mother used to sleep is full of broken furniture and old suitcases. He shudders, shuts the door on it and moves on to his grandfather's room, preparing himself for cobwebs, dust and junk on a grand scale. But the walls are bare and white, and the mattress on the solid four-poster bed looks relatively new and comfortable. He remembers his mother telling him that his Uma brought the bed with her from Holland. It must be worth a fortune. He needs to concentrate on that and not worry about other things. He realizes that this is probably where his grandfather died, but he can't detect any odor other than the stale air of disuse. And it's not ghosts or spirits or any of that nonsense that's worrying him. He'll sleep in here. Despite the lack of curtains or carpeting, it feels safe, almost warm. He pokes his head into the bathroom at the end of the corridor. The water in the lavatory is brown, but otherwise it looks clean enough to use. And mindful that it won't be long before it's fully dark, he scurries downstairs and out to the car to fetch his pillow and sleeping bag. He hesitates outside the lounge door. Then, not quite sure why, he darts in and collects the encyclopedia. There's nothing else to do but go to bed. He removes his shoes, finds himself pulling his socks over them, something he hasn't done for years. He's woken from a dreamless sleep by his aching bladder. Shivering as his bare feet meet cold wood, he hurries into the bathroom, relieving himself Werner runs through what he needs to do today. Top of the list is meeting with an estate agent. Just the thought of dealing with strangers exhausts him, but he has to be strong. He can do this. The farm has to sell. It's that or find another job, head out into the world every day and leave his mother. He's about to flush when his peripheral vision catches a flicker of movement high on the wall to the left. He's almost too afraid to look, prays it's just a moth, but some deep instinct. An early warning system that drenches his guts in icy water signals what it is before his eyes fully take it in. His bowels cramp, his limbs lock. It dances down past the doorframe, moving impossibly fast, pausing as its legs encounter the edge of the mirror. It's a rain spider. Bulbous body and unbearably long legs. 
Werner identifies it immediately. He's made it his business to learn everything about them. Before panic overtakes, he shoots out of the bathroom, slams the door behind him. He can't bear the thought of it whispering away, perhaps skittering into his grandfather's bedroom. What the hell is he going to do? The one and only time he's discovered a spider in the flat, his mother had asked the block's caretaker to remove it. Then he remembers the woman, Elaine. Werner drags on his shoes, hairs down the stairs and sprints towards the path at the back of the house. He's panting when he reaches the compound, almost screams as he trips over a branch, startling an anemic chicken that's been lurking in the rusting farm equipment. Elaine! There's no sign of her. He's reluctant to get any closer. Who knows what could be breeding in the thatch? He jumps as she steps out of the shadows of a doorway. She's wearing a sweatshirt and tiny denim shorts, and his eyes stray to her legs. They're long and brown, covered in downy hair. Incredibly, she's barefoot. He clears his throat. <clears throat> Sorry to disturb you, but, look, can you come help me with something? In the house? A slow smile. Her eyes seem to settle in the region of his crotch. Werner feels himself blush. Please, um, if, if you're not too busy... I'm not busy. Great. I'll, I'll wait for you by the front door. He hurries back towards the house. If anything, it's even frostier this morning, and he can barely feel his cheeks. But the last thing he wants to do is go back inside. If he had his car keys on him, he probably wouldn't be able to quash the temptation to drive away for good. She appears five minutes later. He's relieved to see the shorts have been replaced by tracksuit pants, but she's still barefoot. Her wrists and ankles are scrawny, the bones sharp and pronounced, as if they're trying to escape from her skin. What is it? she asks. He doesn't know quite how to word it. He's a grown man. What will she think of him? Um, upstairs in the bathroom. It takes all of his courage to climb the stairs. But he feels slightly reassured as he hears her footsteps behind him. He hesitates outside his grandfather's room. Um, would you mind? He nods to the bathroom. She shrugs and he makes himself follow her. She opens the door and peers around her. His heart thumps. They're standing so close he can smell the warm, smoky odour of her skin. It's still there, on the wall, taunting him. It's a phobia. Stupid, I know, but... He waits for her to laugh, make fun of him. But instead, she slides straight into the bathroom. Hang on, don't you need a glass or something to... She turns and grins at him, holds up her hands and waggles her fingers. Oh, God, she's going to pick it up with her hands. You can't! Taking the stairs two at a time, he runs into the lounge, slamming the door behind him. An old memory surfaces. The reedy sound of a scream followed by a shameful heat drenching his thighs. He can't let her see him in this state. He bites the inside of his cheek until he tastes blood. Move! He gathers his resolve. Steps out into the hallway. Elaine! There's no sound from the floor above him. Has she gone back outside? He walks into the kitchen, finds her sitting at the table, hands in her lap. Where is it? 
She raises her cupped palms, smiles slowly, but her dark eyes show no sign of humor. Jerks them towards him, he flinches back, only breathes again when she opens her hands and he sees that they are empty. It's gone, she says, outside. Thanks. I hope you don't think... She stretches. Her sweatshirt rides up over her stomach, revealing a dark whirl of hair above her waistband. He colors, drops his eyes, wrecks his brain for something to say, some attempted conversation. Should he ask her if she wants some tea? No, she's not a guest, is she? And he has things to do. He'd better drive into town and call his mother. Um, I really should get going. Thought I'd drive into town. She makes no move to get up. He fidgets, the silence between them becoming unendurable. Can he just leave her here in the house? More than likely she's used to being in here. Probably cleaned the house for his grandfather. And if she was going to steal anything, she could have done so long ago. Will you close the front door behind when you leave? He asks lamely. She nods. He has no choice but to leave her sitting there. As Werner navigates the car around the last of the potholes, he notices a figure leaning against a rotten post at the end of the dirt track. It looks like a boy, twelve or thirteen or so, eyes hidden by a cap pulled low over his brow. Werner winds down the window. Can I help you? The boy mutters something in Afrikaans, then smiles, revealing blackened gums. Second, Werner jerks the car into the main road, slamming on the brakes as a backy appears out of nowhere, tires screeching as it swerves around him. The men piled on the back stare at him with hostile eyes. He drops his head to the steering wheel, shaking with adrenaline. He glances in the rearview mirror. The boy is gone. He doesn't encounter another vehicle as he drives into town. The landscape around him scorch after years of recession, drought, and hard winters. A solitary... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Height wells above a forest of rusted pylons. A broken sign reading, Accommodation, swings on rusty chains above a ramshackle gate. Plastic bags stuck to sagging barbed wire fences flutter sadly at him. The farm workers' settlement on the edge of the town is similarly depressed, many of the houses sporting boarded-up windows and dust-bowl yards. A dog with xylophone ribs slinks across the road. A clump of children with skinny limbs and vacant eyes of fetal alcohol syndrome show little interest as he passes. As he pulls into the main road, Werner sees with dismay that the town's only estate agency is shut even though it's Saturday. The town is not so much sleeping as locked in a coma. The farmer's co-op is now a grimy superette, hemmed in by two bottle stores. A solitary yellow van idles outside the police station. Even the Dutch reformed church looks as if it's about to crumble into the Karoo dust. Double-checking that all his car's doors are locked, Werner bustles into the superette, breathes in the scent of decaying meat. He's reluctant to buy anything edible here. The vegetables are limp. The filthy freezer contains nothing but a few packets of battery-farmed chicken drumsticks. He'll have to drive the 30 k's to the next town for supplies. But he can live for a few days on the tins in the kitchen. He heads straight for the hardware aisle fills his basket with insect repellent and several heavy-duty foggers. He's fairly certain aren't environmentally ethical. Back in the safety of the car, he calls his mother. The signal is poor, but he's able to reassure her that he's fine. He doesn't mention this morning's incident. He doesn't mention Elaine. When he returns, he's greeted by canned television laughter. His heart sinks. She's still here. He walks heavily into the lounge, finds her stretched out on the couch, her dirty feet hanging over one of its arms. He's grateful to her for helping him out this morning. Of course he is. But he has to make it clear that she's outstayed her welcome. He holds up the plastic bag filled with cans of insecticide. Do you mind going back to your room? He tries to keep his tone light, as if they're sharing a joke. This stuff is poisonous. She continues to stare at the television. Didn't she hear him? He opens his mouth to repeat himself, but before he can speak, she swings her legs to the floor, stands up abruptly, and slides past him. He shivers as her arm brushes against his. He waits until he hears the front door slam, then gets to work placing the foggers in each of the rooms. With four hours to kill before he can safely return to the house, Werner decides to explore the rest of the farm. He wanders through the orchard, snapping branches at random to check for signs of life. All are as brittle and lifeless as chalk. He's about to head up to the dam 
when he catches sight of Elaine, sauntering down through the trees towards the main road, hips switching as if she knows she's being watched. He waits until she's out of sight, then jogs back in the direction of the compound. He hasn't forgotten the boy he saw loitering at the end of the driveway. He needs to be sure there's no one else living here. Werner inches closer to the doorway in the center of the building. Her doorway. It hasn't occurred to him how she manages to survive, now that the farm is no longer a going concern. It really is bleak out here, probably devoid of electricity or running water. How can she bear to live like this? Rationalizing that she must be used to it, he smothers a trace of guilt. Double-checking to ensure she isn't about to return and catch him snooping, he leans forward and peers inside. Apart from a rusty wood-burning stove, there is no furniture, just a bundle of blankets on the floor, scattered with leaves and earth. He shudders again, feeling the echo of insectile legs on his skin. He's read that baboon spiders burrow into the ground, creating secret nests where they wait in the dark to spring out at unsuspecting prey. And this, he realizes, is exactly what Elaine's room resembles, a nest. He retreats, imagines a long spiky limb snaking out of the blankets, wrapping itself around his thigh and dragging him into the room's depths. He hurries back to the relative safety of the house, reassured by the lingering chemical odor in the hallway. He'll sleep well tonight. He jerks awake, automatically groping for his useless cell phone. It's still dark outside, the heavy darkness that comes just before dawn. The house creaks, and he jumps as he hears a scratching sound in the corridor outside his grandfather's room. Feeling as exposed and vulnerable as an Amakwalan slug, he ekes the door open. He holds his breath, expecting to see a rodent of some type, but the corridor is empty. A primal dread inches its way up from the depths of his belly. Another creak. This one, he's almost certain, coming from the floor below. He knows with the certainty that only comes at night that there is something waiting for him at the foot of the stairs. A dark mass of legs and hair and obscene mouth parts. He wishes he had a weapon of some sort, a shotgun. But his grandfather hated guns, refused to have them on the property. He reaches across the bed and caresses the book's cover, and this time he remembers. He's sitting on a rug in the lounge, paging through the encyclopedia, half listening as his mother complains about the heat. She's lying on the couch where she spends most of every day fanning herself with an old U magazine. He looks up, confused, as she stops talking mid-sentence. She's clutching her throat, her mouth slack with horror. He follows her gaze, sees it skittering towards him across the floorboards, a big one, bulbous body, meaty limbs, his mother lets out a thin, reedy scream. It's heading straight towards him, but she's infected him with her panic and he can't move. He's paralyzed. It stops a meter away from where he's sitting, its front legs stroking the air. It's so close he can make out its eyes and the individual hairs that coat its legs. 
Footsteps thunder as his grandfather storms into the room, a half of disbelief. Stop that screaming, Mary. It's just a bleary insect. You want to turn the boy into a muffy? His grandfather bends and fills his vision, hands him the encyclopedia. Go on, son, deal with it. Werner feels his bladder letting go, hears his grandfather growling in disgust, feels the side of his head explode as a heavy hand whacks his ear. Despite the frigid air, Werner realizes he's sweating. He runs a hand over his face, sniffs. That's odd. He's almost sure he can smell smoke. He opens his door. The smell is stronger now. Cigarettes? Daga, maybe? He creeps downstairs. The lights are off, but he left them on, didn't he? He peers into the lounge and sees her, lying on the couch again, wrapped in a dark blanket, a cigarette drooping from her fingers. You're smoking. You can't smoke in here. He can feel his lips trembling with indignation. How dare she? She stretches languidly, the blankets falling from her shoulders. He can't read her eyes. From where he's standing, there's nothing but inky holes in her skull. She drops the cigarette into a teacup that's lying on the floor next to the couch. What are you doing in here, Elaine? It's cold out there. I'm not doing any harm. How did you get in? His grandfather must have given her a set of keys. He'll have to get them back. You let me in. I mean now. She shrugs, turns her attention back to the television. What should he do? He can hardly kick her out in the middle of the night. What if she refuses to move? She's skinny, but she looks strong, and the last thing he wants is some sort of confrontation. No, he'll deal with it in the morning. He crawls back upstairs, dives into the sleeping bag, shuts his eyes and waits for the night to end. He can't breathe. He can't move his arms or legs. They're gripped, no cocooned, in a warm, scratchy embrace. Sharp fingers dance over his arms, scrape his chest, chitter down his stomach to his groin. He gasps for air, batting the space about his head. But there's nothing there, nothing in the room. He sits up, realizes that his pyjama bottoms are damp and sticky. Flushed with shame, he pads into the bathroom, checking first to ensure it's free of any of them, and cleans himself as well as he can with toilet paper and cold water. He's almost afraid to go downstairs. What if she's still there? But he knows the answer before he reaches the foot of the stairs and hears the orchestral swell of a movie soundtrack. She's still lying on the couch, an old black-and-white movie playing fuzzily on the television. He clenches his fists, digging his nails into his palms. Elaine, you can't stay here. It's not... It's not what, right? It's possible his grandfather may have let her sleep in here occasionally, but why should he? She kicks the blanket away from her legs. She's wearing nothing but a flimsy T-shirt and those denim shorts. He colors, tries not to stare at her breasts. It's just, look, you can finish watching the movie, but then I'll have to ask you to leave. Please, be reasonable. This isn't your house. She yawns. Her teeth are long. Too long, he thinks. Incisors crooked. No, she says. I belong here. I've always been here. Werner isn't sure what to say to that. 
It's been over two decades since his mother brought him here for the summer holidays. Could Elaine have been living here then? He has no way of knowing for sure. When he was a child, the farm workers were like an alien species. So far removed from his existence, they barely registered on his radar. It can't be helped that the farm has to be sold. She must leave, and he refuses to feel guilty at ousting her from her home. Elaine, look, the farm is being sold. You have to leave, find somewhere else to live. Where? Again he's left floundering for a response. But she must have family somewhere, surely. That's up to you. You can't stay here. She smiles an empty smile. I could bring them in. I could go outside and bring them in. Bring what in? You know, the Gogas, the big ones, the spiders, she hisses. She wriggles her long fingers at him, and then, eyes piercing his, she dances them down her belly. He gasps as she plunges her hand beneath the waistband of her shorts. A ribbon of laughter follows him as he makes his way for the safety of his grandfather's room. Werner endures another gut-wrenching night, knowing that downstairs, Elaine is making herself at home, digging her heels in littering the lounge floor with her clothing and belongings, nesting. He spends most of the following day skulking in his grandfather's room, emerging only when hunger gets the better of him. Even then he scuttles straight to the kitchen, hardly daring to glance in the direction of her lair. He needs to phone his mother, knows that she must be frantic with worry, never mind that he still has to arrange a viewing with an estate agent. But he can't leave the house. What if Elaine makes good her threat? What if he leaves and returns to find his clothes and sleeping bag alive with baboon spiders? He supposes he could go to the police, but what would they say? They laugh at him. His only other choice is to drive back to Cape Town. He can't bear the thought of his mother's disappointment when he returns to the flat, tells her what's happened, that he's allowed a squatter, a woman, to get the better of him. As night falls, he paces, sick with indecision. Exhausted, he finally crawls into bed, drags his pillows over his head. He wakes to the sound of laughter, the rumble of voices. This time, it's not the television, he's sure of it. Is there someone else in the house? Has she brought someone else here? It's the last straw. It can't go on. His pulse throbs in his ears as he steals carefully down the stairs and skulks down the hallway. He tiptoes towards the lounge door. The room's shadows accentuated by sickly blue television light. There's something writhing on the couch, a jumbled mass of bony limbs. Too many limbs. He watches, paralyzed, as the thing on the couch shifts and undulates. It's making sucking noises its breath coming quick and fast. There's a groan that doesn't sound human, and the mass on the couch unfurls. A figure rolls onto the ground, lands on all fours, then stands. Werner can't be sure in the poor light, but it resembles the boy he saw at the end of the driveway. But as his eyes drop to the boy's crotch, Werner realizes 
he's not a boy after all, but a man. Elaine says something in Afrikaans, and the stranger shakes his head, struggles into his trousers and heads for the door. Werner tiptoes back to the stairs, crouches in the shadows, prays that he won't be seen. He only breathes again when he hears the front door clicking shut. She's alone. He can't put it off any longer. He has to confront her. She's standing, her back to him, draped in a blanket. Get out, he screams. You can't stay here. I don't want you here. You shouldn't be in the house. The blanket falls. She's naked. Her lower back and buttocks whirled with thick black hair. He yelps in disgust. That's not right. And her arms. They're definitely thinner, longer than they should be. The joints swollen. She turns around. More of those coarse black hairs coat her belly and breasts. Werner's made a mistake. A terrible mistake. No! She scuttles towards him, her movements jerky, lightning quick. And before he knows what's happening, wiry limbs slam into the wall on either side of his head, caging him in. Werner stares into her eyes. Can't drag his gaze away from them. Like ink poured into water, blackness floods the whites. He feels a gush of warmth on his thighs as his bladder lets go. The thing hisses in disgust, twitches back. Now's his chance. Werner pushes against it, gagging as his palms scrape bristly hair. He turns, runs up the stairs on slow-motion legs, certain that at any moment he'll feel a claw encircling his ankle. He dives into his grandfather's bedroom, slams the door and leans his back against it, ears full of the sound of his own ragged sobs. He sinks to his haunches, his wet, stinking trousers chafing his thighs. He has no one to turn to. It's all his fault. He let it in. He's done the equivalent of leaving a window open during a rainy night, an open invitation for it to slip in and make itself at home. Like his mother told him years ago, if you're not careful, they can hole up anywhere, lay eggs and breed like wildfire. In no time at all, the house will be infested. His eyes dart around the room finally landing on the encyclopedia, lying in the folds of his sleeping bag. His grandfather's voice, thick with mockery, fills the air. What are you waiting for? Kill it, Muffy! He stands up, shuffles over to it, traces his fingers over the X, Y, Z, lettering. He picks it up, weighs it in his hands. It's heavy, solid, and this time he has to find the strength to use it. The end. That was Lily Hearn's XYZ, as read to us by Ashley Story. Aged 11, Ashley performed her first ever stand-up comedy routine at the International Women's Day celebration in Glasgow, and went on to do stand-up in London, supporting the likes of Omid Jalili and Donna McPhail and she appeared on the London Tonight TV show. In 1999, still only 13, she wrote, produced, and performed her own show, What Were You Doing When You Were 13?, at the Edinburgh Fringe, becoming the youngest ever stand-up in the history of the festival. 
She received raved reviews and was guest presenter on the Disney Channel that same year. She continued to perform comedy in pubs and clubs around Glasgow and the UK until she took up PR and started her own small business, age 16, at the Edinburgh Fringe, promoting stand-up comics and theater groups. In 2003, she co-directed her mother Janie's play, The Point of Yes, at the Edinburgh Fringe and subsequently at the Soho Theater in 2004. The two wrote and performed together in their comedy sketch show, Square Street, at the 2006 Edinburgh Fringe. Ashley graduated with honors from her film and screenplay studies degree course and has since been directing and writing for BBC Radio and TV. Ashley now does a weekly podcast with her mother called Janie Godley's Podcast and has returned to the stand-up comedy scene. A story written by a mother and daughter read to us by a lady who does a podcast with her mother. That seems quite appropriate, don't you think? And that will be our story for the evening, children of the night. Take care of yourselves, say hello to your mother for us here at Tales to Terrify, and come again to see us next week for another episode. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 